Hello, everyone, and welcome to this special edition of Employment Matters, brought to you by the Employment Law Alliance, the world's largest network of labor and employment lawyers from the best law firms around the globe. I'm your host, Shemaine Amin. Along with bringing you updates and critical events happening around the world, we are also fortunate to have the chance to dial in our local ELA lawyers that practice on the ground in these jurisdictions and are working daily to help their local clients move through these difficult times. On the program, we span the globe and have received updates on critical issues from ELA members in each region. Today, we're gonna to be chatting with one of our members in Jordan, and we're joined by Dalia Sharkawi, a lawyer at Al Jazi & Co. Welcome to the program, Dalia. It's lovely to have you. How are you doing? Hi, Shemaine. Thank you for having me. I'm doing well. How are you? Very well, thank you. As, as I'm sure you know, Tanzania has been going through an interesting transition over the course of the last month, so things have been uh, quite busy at our end. But uh, shifting back to the focus of today's podcast and to kick us off, Dalia, would you like to perhaps start by giving us a brief overview about the labor law in Jordan and specifically with regard to the protection that it serves its employees? So generally, the Jordanian labor law accords greater protection to employees than employers. It uh, essentially establishes the groundwork for the rights employees should have in any working relationship, such as minimum wage, maximum working hours per week, minimum annual paid leaves and sick leaves, and so on and so forth. So if any employee waives his or her legally stipulated rights, such waiver is deemed void. Similarly, if an employer accords any employee additional rights to the ones stipulated in the law, any attempt to take away such additional rights later on in the working relationship will be deemed unlawful. Some further rights that have been given to employees through the labor code and through different procedural laws. For instance, labor disputes are exempt from all fees, which would be an incentive for laborers to not worry about any court fees or any of those expensive fees that regularly are needed to start a dispute within the courts. So in fact, beyond the Jordanian labor laws protection, the Jordanian constitution establishes a number of workers' rights including equitable working conditions, limited working hours per week, weekly and annual paid rest, special compensation given to workers supporting families and on dismissal, such as in the case of pregnancy, special conditions for the employment of women and juveniles, equal pay for equal work, and free trade unions organization within the limits of the law. One of the points, Dalia, that you had mentioned is special protection that's given to women under the law. Would you be able to elaborate on that a little bit more and perhaps highlight some of those protections that are in place to ensure equal representation in the workforce? Yes, of course. So as previously mentioned, the necessity for special conditions for the employment of women was established in the Jordanian constitution. Beyond that, different laws in Jordan, such as the Jordanian labor law, emphasizes non-discrimination between men and women. However, the gender pay gap in Jordan in both the public and private sector is substantial. Females working in the private sector earn 41% less than their male counterparts, whereas in the public sector, it stands at around 28%. This is, of course, not indicative of Jordanian women's capabilities. Young females boast a 99.1% literacy rate, much higher than any of Jordan's neighbors, including Israel and Syria. But generally speaking, the way employers view females is one of the obstacles attributing to joblessness among Jordanian women. So employers tend to discriminate against females when hiring because they view them as an uncertainty who may quit abruptly at any point due to family obligations or even pregnancy. Hence, in order to diminish the effects of such social norms on the female working force in Jordan, regulations on the flexible work system were issued along with its associated instructions. 
whereby part-time and distance work have been allowed, as well as giving employees who meet the requirements flexibility to choose their working hours, given that the work is completed, of course. This was exceptionally well-received, especially by Jordanian women. However, of course, much more work should be done through effective advocacy and social reforms. Ensuring the mobilization of the second half of a very well-educated population presents a huge potential as one of the key factors of economic stability in a dynamic region. So since these regulations were issued, women, especially married women who have children, they've had much more leeway in being able to work, in a sense, part-time while still supporting the family. And the fact that later on in the year, instructions were issued whereby it was made clear to employers and it had given employers even more of an incentive to hire women. So this is one of the ways Jordan had tried to mitigate this lack of presence of women in the workforce in Jordan. Sounds like a lot of the measures that have been taken in in Jordan, including the flex working, almost preempted some of the challenges that arose out of the COVID-19 pandemic. And I'm just curious to know a little bit more about how the pandemic has impacted the workforce in Jordan. Well, as with every other country, it was a very strong impact. Unemployment rate stands at a staggering 24.7% right now in Jordan. Young people who have recently finished school and are seeking their first jobs are the hardest hit during this economic downturn. And additionally, Jordanians often migrated to work in Gulf countries, particularly when job prospects at home have been poor. The pandemic has precluded migration and caused many existing migrants to return. These are some of the factors that attribute to this high unemployment rate right now. At the onset of the pandemic, the Jordanian government activated the defense law whereby the Prime Minister may declare a state of emergency in response to exceptional circumstances that threaten national security or public safety, including a pandemic. So a series of measures were imposed by virtue of defence orders and related communiques. It acted fast to stave off the spread of COVID-19 by adopting some of the stringest lockdown measures in Jordan. It closed all businesses and prohibited people from leaving their homes. And although the rules were gradually relaxed, the curfew lasted 40 days. This was obviously a big blow to businesses and just in general, the workforce, especially daily workers who received their wages on a daily basis from the work that they managed to find, informal workers, you may say. The strict lockdown curtailed their livelihoods, especially informal daily workers who are not registered under the social security and are unable to receive unemployment benefits. Working women especially were gravely affected by the pandemic, especially those who receive a daily wage, again, or work for their own account. The majority are not provided any protection and that they cannot request unemployment compensations from the Social Security Corporation. So women who work for their own accounts reported that due to the crisis, there is no longer any demand for their products, as people now tend to only buy the essentials. What are some of the measures that the Jordanian government implemented in order to mitigate the negative effects of COVID-19 on the economy and protect employees from losing their jobs? So the Jordanian government issued the Defense Order number 6 in March of last year and continues to issue associated communiques to this day, every one to two months, setting new rules based on the current situations. Defense Order Number 6 prohibits any employer from releasing their employees or forcing them to resign, except for the cases mentioned in Article 28 of the Labor Code were to apply, such as assuming the identity of another person, workplace harassment, committing a mistake that results in serious financial loss, and the likes. Additionally, the Defense Order stipulates a mechanism for the remuneration of employees and classifying sectors from most to least damaged, and whether employees are working on the company premises or remotely, and assigning the percentage of remuneration they are entitled to accordingly. 
The list of sectors and their classifications, along with the percentages of remuneration, have been updated every one to two months ever since in the form of communiques. And any employer who violates the terms of the defense order and its associated communique is criminally liable. The imposed penalty is imprisonment for up to three years and a fine of 3,000 Jordanian dinars. Additionally, another way that government managed to offer protection to workers and help employers is through the Istidama program in partnership with the Social Security Partnership. The beneficiaries of the program are establishments unauthorized to operate and the sectors most affected by the pandemic. Essentially, the Social Security Corporation allocated budgets to aid employers in paying the salaries of their employees and provided further incentives to ensure the coverage of workers under the Social Security Corporation, since such program is only eligible for those registered with the Social Security. So to give you an example, Communique number 13 applied for the months of November and December of 2020. In the sectors most damaged and where full-time work is assigned, whether on company premises or remotely, reduction of salary is limited to 20% and only with the approval of the employee and after top management's reduction. If the employees are not assigned work, reduction of salary is limited to 50%, provided it is not less than the minimum wage. As for the undamaged sectors, if full-time work is assigned, whether remotely or on company premises, 100% of the salary must be given, whereas if work is not assigned, a limit of 30% reduction is allocated. It also establishes the percentages for part-time work and included an updated list of the most to least damaged sectors. Additionally, Defense Order Number 9 established a program specifically for daily workers implemented by the National Aid Fund. And finally, the government it decided to raise the minimum wage in Jordan from 220 Jordanian dinars to 260 Jordanian dinars, starting from January 2021. And this was extremely helpful for employees and employers alike, since they received at least a bit of support from, from the government. While, of course, they're losing business, the government is able to help them in keeping the employees in place and to not cause further increase in the unemployment rates in Jordan. Given that Jordan has one of the highest refugee populations per capita in the world, how has the pandemic affected their employment? And to go a step further, what efforts, if any, did the Jordanian government take in order to protect the refugee population from, from rising unemployment issues? So there are around 1.3 million Syrian refugees in Jordan. There are around 65 Syrian refugees per 1,000 inhabitants. Jordan is not a signatory to any of the international conventions or protocols concerning refugees, including the 1951 United Nations Refugee Convention and its 1967 protocol. Yet the kingdom has hosted refugees for decades, as well as allowed some of them to work in certain sectors legally. Many others work informally in open and closed sectors. The curfew has resulted in numerous ramifications that affected the lives of the host community and refugees alike, ramifications related to both the living and economic conditions. 40% of refugees lost their jobs as a result of the pandemic. Many lost their jobs as daily workers, also due to the travel restrictions between areas and governorates. Even for those working in the, in the vital sectors, many were not granted permits to move during the curfews, and so they either had to stay at their workplace or go home and not receive their wages that day. Generally speaking, Syrians are employed in the sectors of construction, agriculture, loading and offloading, restaurants, and factories, or as either daily workers or self-employed. As for Palestinians, there are currently 600,000 Palestinian refugees residing in Jordan. They're allowed to work in the Jordanian labor market, but have to issue a permit to do so. In reality, though, many are working without work permits and they're excluded from a social protection as they are not covered under the umbrella of social security and thus not offered any insurances. 
But I recall at the start of the curfew imposed last year, many social activists and organizations came together and donated essentials such as food, clothing and money. And those were managed to be distributed within refugee camps and other undeserved areas around the kingdom. And this exhibited true comradeship in times of struggle. So some of the efforts that the Jordanian government took in order to mitigate the effects of COVID. More recently, the support program was established for refugees whom, whom are included under the auspice of social security. In 2016, the Jordanian government, in partnership with the international community, committed to tackling the challenge of improving the living conditions, prospects, and resilience of both Syrian refugees and host communities. And thus, the Jordan Compact was born. It's essentially it's a program for economic opportunities for Jordanians and Syrian refugees. It was designed by the World Bank and the Jordanian government in close cooperation with the International Labour Organization and the UNHCR, as well as a set of de- development partners in Jordan. Since then, this program supported refugees' formal access to the Jordanian labor market to enable them to be self-resilient and contribute to the Jordanian economy. It also supported the Jordanian government in improving its investment climate through better investment promotion and the likes. And it was able to offer jobs and entrepreneurship opportunities for Jordanians and refugees. In fact, the $300 million four-year program just benefited in June of 2020 from a two-year extension and an additional financing of $100 million. And this provides refugees with more flexible work permits to ensure formality and ensure they are covered under the labor law. There was an indication in early February, with sectors gradually starting to reopen in Jordan, that leave and work permits for camp-based refugees would be issued again, albeit with a shorter duration than prior to the COVID-19 restrictions. This once again has been halted. The increase in cases recently Permits are once again only issued for emergency cases, hindering refugee access to work opportunities outside the camp and thus risking a further drop in household incomes. However, the cases right now are starting to drop again. And we are hopeful that after Ramadan, the holy month of Ramadan, governmental restrictions will be more lenient. and Therefore, refugees will be able to, to obtain more work permits and movement permits in order to work outside of the camps. As we see in many of these difficult situations and crises that we face, there tends to be room for opportunity, more disruption and acceleration of innovation and technology. Would you be able to tell us a little bit about some of the ways in which you think that the COVID-19 pandemic has had a positive impact in Jordan in terms of either you know the economy or in terms of the way that business is being conducted? Yes, of course. So Due to the curfew imposed by the government, which is right now it stands at 7 p.m., it allowed restaurants and any other businesses, groceries, pharmacies to deliver until 12 a.m. And now they have extended it because the holy month of Ramadan starts tomorrow. So now delivery times and permits are being given until 3 a.m. So delivery apps and companies here in Jordan, such as Talabat and even Kareem and Uber, have really benefited, of course as well as in the fields of hygiene products and pharmaceutical sectors, and especially for medicines, for viruses and the likes. And then finally, the IT and tech industry has really taken a big turn, especially recently in Jordan. So according to a survey by Endeavor, among startups in the, in the gaming, tech, e-commerce and health tech have experienced significant growth opportunities. And recently, so the World Bank's group's board of executive directors approved in March of 2020 a $20 million project. So it's the Youth Tech and Jobs Project and has adapted an integrated approach that aims to capitalize on Jordan's potential to grow this digital economy and absorb skilled labor to address the two biggest challenges facing the country, 
which are economic growth and job creation. The ICT industry contributes 12% of the country's GDP. And the launch of REACH 2025 initiative as part of the Vision 2025 renewed Jordan's efforts and developments of digital economy. The volume of investments that Jordan attracted during the COVID-19 pandemic reflects confidence in our economy. So 52 new investments in industry, tourism, health and information technology sectors, which are worth 50 million Jordanian dinars and are to employ about 1,100 Jordanians. Jordan is responsible for 70% of the Arabic content on the internet, especially with the REACH 2025 initiative. We are already seeing massive growth and job opportunities for Jordanians and refugees alike. And they're also, they are holding in place workshops in order to train the population here in the tech and ICT industries. And therefore, it's creating a massive number of new job opportunities. This has been a very interesting discussion, Dahlia. Thank you so much for your time and for sharing your insights today. Thank you very much for having me. If you'd like to connect with Dahlia or any of our lawyers around the world, please search for them on the ELA website at ela.law by going to the Find a Lawyer widget in the center of the page, where you can sign up to receive invitations to our upcoming webinars, download white papers and on-demand content from our online library, or access the ELA's exclusive Global Employer Handbook. You've been listening to Employment Matters, a podcast brought to you by the Employment Law Alliance, the world's largest network of labor and employment lawyers from the best law firms around the globe. I'm Shemaine Amin, and thanks for listening.